48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. The Chief Justice hits back against recent criticism of court judgment. The government pulls a land sale option for the Disney theme park and student journalists say new police accreditation rules violate their constitutional rights. Chief Justice Jeffrey Ma has issued a rare statement pushing back against recent criticism of court judgments. As Timmy Sung reports, he warned that uninformed criticism could erode public confidence in the judicial system. The probation camp has been focal in criticising recent court judgments in protest-related cases. Many say the judges have been too lenient in meeting out punishment. Chief Justice Jeffrey Ma didn't specifically refer to any particular case in his statement, but made it clear that the role of the court is to determine legal disputes according to the law, not to make determinations on political matters, promote any political viewpoint, or adjudicate according to public opinion. He did immense words in pushing back against those who have groundlessly criticised the courts. It is wrong and detrimental to public confidence in administration of justice to level criticisms against judges and the courts without being informed and without proper grounds and reasons, he wrote. It is also wrong to accuse judges of bias or breaching fundamental principles just because one may not like the outcome of a particular case, he added. But DAV lawmaker Holden Chow, who's also a lawyer, says Justice Ma's statement does nothing to assure people that local courts are, in fact, unbiased. Simply by repeating the legal principle 101 is not enough to convince the public that we are able to protect the reputation of the judiciary. It's not even able to remove the doubt from the public that our court could remain unbiased or remain the impartiality. Legal sector lawmaker Dennis Kwok says continuing to bash the courts certainly isn't helpful. It is not conducive to the rule of law if certain newspaper or certain members of this council to systematically, repeatedly level allegations at certain magistrates, uh, naming them, shaming them, and this is not certainly not healthy, not constructive to the rule of law. The government is pulling the plug on Hong Kong Disney's long-term expansion plans. It's decided not to extend an option for Disney to buy a 60-hectare site in Lantau next to the existing theme park that had long been earmarked for a major future expansion. Damon Pang reports. An agreement for the theme park to buy the 60-hectare site was inked two decades ago. It was earmarked for a future expansion, but no concrete plans were ever made to actually use it. The original agreement is now expiring, but the joint venture between the government and Disney, which runs the park, could have extended it for at least five more years. But the government says in light of the current economic environment, it's now decided to let the agreement lapse. The Commerce Bureau explained that while it supports the loss-making park's current expansion plans, even though global travel is at a standstill, it's more prudent for it to focus on developing and expanding its existing resort in the coming few years, which doesn't involve expanding into this adjacent plot. The Walt Disney Company has said it's extremely disappointed with the government's decision. Democratic Party lawmaker Andrew Wan says it was a big mistake to let the land sit idle for so long, but says the government should now build much-needed housing there. At last, when the government is trying to correct its long-lasting mistake... I hope that the government will review the land use. I believe at least 40,000 flats can be provided. 
Journalism schools at seven local universities have issued a joint statement criticising a new police policy to only recognise journalists from organisations registered with the government or from internationally known media groups. They say the change, implemented today, would allow officers to disperse reporters from protests for no good reason, which they say violate their constitutional rights. Cheryl Wong is the executive editor of a Ubeat magazine at Chinese University. It's quite ridiculous as well. Because we have the right to cover the protests or chaos or the social events. So they don't have any right to restrict our freedom. And practically, I don't think they will actually allow us to cover the news behind the quarter line. Because what they have done in the past, you can see they're just trying to kick us away and ask us to leave the scene of the news event. But the head of the police's public relations branch, Kenneth Kwok, says more than 200 media organisations are registered with the government and dismissed concerns that the policy change will hinder reporters' work. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. The High Court has rejected a legal bid by democracy activist Joshua Wong to challenge an election officer's decision to bar him from running in 2019 district council polls. He said the officer had preached had breached his constitutional right to free speech and to stand for election. However, the High Court rejected his application for a judicial review on procedural grounds, saying he should have filed an election petition instead. Speaking after the ruling, Mr Wong said the broader issue of disqualifying election hopefuls from running for office cannot be addressed this way. It can't handle the discussion about the abuse of power and the returning officers might violate the Constitution as the one who have been disqualified and believe returning officer uh, violate on the Constitution of Hong Kong. Seeking for judicial uh, review might be the best option. Unfortunately, it seems that the High Court in Hong Kong has no intention to solve this conflict or dispute by the judicial review, which just means that the abuse of power of civil servant might be ignored by the judicial system. Sources say Civil Service Chief Patrick Nippis started consulting government staff unions on the administration's plans to require all public workers to take formal oaths or sign declarations to pledge allegiance to the SAR. Maggie Ho reports. Sources told RTHK Mr Nip met representatives from several civil servant unions on Tuesday. It's understood he told them the oath requirement would first apply to new hires since July and those who refuse cannot keep their jobs. But the administration is said to still be seeking legal advice and consulting unions on how to apply the requirement to existing staff. The Civil Service Bureau told RTHK details of implementation would be announced in due course, but it stressed that all civil servants must give their full support to all government policies and decisions. A formal oath or declaration, it said, is just a manifestation of their duties that are already laid out in the basic law and government regulations. It added that this is also in line with relevant provisions of the national security law. The administration first floated this new policy in early July, days after the security law came into force. Health authorities have confirmed three new coronavirus cases, two locally acquired infections linked to previous cases and one imported case from the UK. Richard Pine reports. One of the two local cases is a four-year-old boy who's been having regular treatments for a chronic disease at Tunman Hospital. He was admitted to the hospital's A&E department yesterday because he had developed symptoms of a respiratory infection. He was transferred to a paediatric isolation ward and is in stable condition. 
Tinman Hospital says they've traced the children who stayed in the same ward as him, as well as the healthcare workers who came into contact with him. Ten children have been identified as close contacts and will be quarantined for two weeks. Another six children will be put under 28-day surveillance. Beijing has unveiled a major new climate target. President Xi Jinping told the UN General Assembly it aims to become carbon neutral before 2060. Humankind can no longer afford to ignore the repeated warnings of nature and go down the beaten path of extracting resources without investing in conservation, pursuing development at the expense of protection, and exploiting resources without restoration. The Paris Agreement on Climate Change charts the course for the world to transition to green and low-carbon development. It outlines the minimum steps to be taken to protect the Earth, our shared homeland, and all countries must take decisive steps to honor this agreement. The BBC's Zhao Zhenfang says China is trying to outshine the U.S. on the issue of climate change. What is important about this is that it's the first time for China to make a long-term commitment on this issue. Of course, the country right now is the largest source of carbon dioxide, accounting for 28% of the global emissions. Um, But at the same time, many analysts see that Beijing is trying to take advantage of the U.S. reluctance in tackling climate change. So... China is trying to portray itself as a good force in the world and a global leader in tackling important international issues such as climate change. China has relaxed its border restrictions, allowing for the return of foreigners who are living and working in the mainland before virus restrictions were put in place in March. Individuals who want to travel to China to join family members will also be allowed to enter without needing special permission. Quarantine restrictions for all new arrivals will remain in place. To Malaysia, where a political showdown looms between Prime Minister Muhyiddin Yassin and opposition leader Anwar Ibrahim. Speaking to the media in Kuala Lumpur this morning, Mr Anwar claimed he's secured a parliamentary majority and is ready to form a new government. He says Mr Muhyiddin's that government has fallen, but the Premier hit back, insisting he should stay on and criticising what he described as blind actions of those seeking to sow instability. He became Prime Minister earlier this year after the collapse of veteran leader Mahathir Mohamad's government. The UN Special Rapporteur for Myanmar has told the Human Rights Council the country's election in November won't be free and fair. Thomas Andrews said many people were being denied a vote because of their ethnicity, race or religion. Here's the BBC's Imogen Fuchs. Myanmar's elections are less than two months away, but the UN Special Rapporteur said he had seen no evidence that the government had made any attempt to ensure the Rohingya community would be able to vote. He also showed UN member states satellite imagery of new military bases in Rakhine State on sites where Rohingya villages had once stood and asked how this could be reconciled with Myanmar's stated priority of bringing Rohingya refugees in Bangladesh back home. Myanmar's ambassador responded, saying the COVID-19 pandemic had affected some government work and accused critics of spreading fake news. One of Belarus's main opposition leaders, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, has told the sudden inauguration of Alexander Lukashenko as an attempt to seize power and demanded fresh, free and fair elections. 
Another exiled member of the Opposition Council called on Belarusians to start a campaign of civil disobedience. The BBC's Jonah Fisher reports. This ceremony was not announced in advance or broadcast on state TV or radio. Instead, the streets were sealed off, a select audience of officials bust in, and confirmation issued via a statement and photo that Alexander Lukashenko had been sworn in to serve a sixth term as Belarus's president. Every weekend since the vote, hundreds of thousands of protesters have defied riot police to call on the man who's run Belarus for the last 26 years to step down. Credit rating agency Fitch is warning that banks with links to China could be caught up in US sanctions that are aimed at punishing those who are believed to be undermining Hong Kong's autonomy. Richard Pine has details. The US government will draw up a list of financial institutions deemed to have engaged in significant transactions with those who have allegedly sought to undermine Hong Kong's autonomy in the coming weeks. Fitch says Chinese banks and non-US banks with connections to China risk becoming ensnared but major Chinese banks are unlikely to face sanctions given the risk of retaliation from Beijing. The credit rating agency also says banks don't yet appear to be deterred from doing business in China or Hong Kong, but they face the risk of penalties if they're perceived to be helping clients evade sanctions and tariffs. Fitch says sanctions on Chinese and Hong Kong banks could limit their U.S. connections, but their U.S. operations only represent a small proportion of their overall business. Sport and we start in the NBA where the Denver Nuggets survived a late scare from the LA Lakers to take Game 3 of the Western Conference Final. Denver almost blew a 20-point lead in the fourth quarter. A pair of late threes from Jamal Murray halted the Lakers' run. The Canadian point guard finished with 28 points as Denver held on to win 114-106. to LeBron James recorded a 30-point triple-double in defeat. Jeremy Grant stepped for Denver with a playoff career-high 26 points. Nikola Jokic added 22 points and 10 rebounds. The Nuggets will try to even the series in Game 4 on Friday morning Hong Kong time. But before that, the Eastern Conference final resumes tomorrow with Game 4 between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. Miami hold a 2-1 series lead. And in baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers have clinched the top seed in the National League with a 7-2 victory over the Oakland Athletics. They also won their eighth straight division title in the process. And a reminder of our top stories tonight. The Chief Justice hits back against recent criticism of court judgments. The government pulls a land sale option for the Disney theme park. And student journalists say new police accreditation rules violate their constitutional rights. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. Many school children returned to classrooms this morning after a longer than usual pandemic summer break. Schools have been providing online lessons since the start of the new school year, but today saw the start of the resumption of face-to-face -face schooling in phases. The kids going back included those just starting primary and secondary schools, as Jimmy Choi reports. Parents and students that RTHK spoke to said they were nervous and excited about the return to class. Angel, a Form 5 student, was among those happy to be back. Actually, I feel very excited because we have a um, long time. We cannot see our classmates and today we can just go to school together. And because of um, taking online lesson, you feel very boring and you cannot concentrate on the lesson. 
So if we can go back to school and have lessons, that will be better to our learning. The mother of a six-year-old girl admitted she was a bit nervous taking her daughter to school. It was her first day of primary school, and the mother was worried about how she would adapt and fit in. But despite her fears of another COVID-19 outbreak, the mother thinks it was the right decision to send students back into classrooms. As the saying goes, use extraordinary measures in extraordinary times. I think it's not unreasonable to allow students to go back to school. Since my kid has been taking online lessons for so long, I wanted her to return to class. But on the other hand, I'm very worried about the virus situation. I just hope that schools take proper hygiene measures to prevent the spread of disease. But another Form 5 student, Alex, said he prefers learning online to going to school. He said he's worried about getting infected. Actually, I'm a bit afraid of going back to school because in a class there are about 30 people in a, such a small area. It is very dangerous for us to stay in there because the virus is very strong. I'm really afraid of getting infected. I don't think the government should let us go back to school if they really care about us. For the time being, schools are restricted to half-day classes and they are not encouraged to hold extracurricular activities for their students. They are also required to enforce social distancing measures, such as spacing out seating and ensuring students maintain some distance between themselves during lessons. The Education Bureau has said that if any student or member of staff is confirmed to have COVID-19, the school will have to close for 14 days for cleaning, and close contacts of the patient will have to be quarantined. President Xi Jinping and self-exiled Hong Kong activist Nathan Law are among Time magazine's 100 most influential people of the year. Priscilla Ng reports. In a testimonial written by the last Hong Kong governor, Chris Patton, Mr. Law was described as someone who wouldn't claim preeminent status as a campaigner, but simply a typically brave representative of a generation whose spirit the Chinese Communist Party wants to stamp out. The 27-year-old went into exile in the UK about three months ago before the controversial national security law came into effect in the SAR. Since then, he had spoken to numerous media outlets and traveled around Europe, calling on foreign officials and politicians to support the pro-democracy movement in Hong Kong. The activist said on his Facebook page that it was beyond his imagination that he ended up on the list. He said while he personally did not deserve the honor, it was a well-deserved recognition for Hong Kong's pro-democracy movement. Meanwhile, President Xi was among 21 who landed on the list of 100 most influential people in the leaders category. In a scathing piece written by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Amanda Bennett, President Xi was described as China's seemingly invulnerable top leader whose authoritarian moves rival the world's most extreme, corralling ethnic Uyghurs into camps, suppressing violent anti-China protests in Hong Kong, and ushering in powerful social monitoring technology. Ms. Bennett also wrote about challenges facing China that could affect his grip on power, such as a shrinking and aging workforce force, a slowing economy exacerbated by the coronavirus pandemic, and debt problems linked to the ambitious Belt and Road Initiative. Also making the list are U.S. President Donald Trump, Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen, and top Chinese epidemiologist Zhongnan Shan, a key figure in the country's fight against COVID-19.
The number of self-reported multi-millionaires in Hong Kong shot up by around a fifth this year, despite the economic devastation brought about by the COVID pandemic. That's according to a new survey by Citibank. It polled around 3,500 people earlier this year and extrapolated that there are now around 504,000 multi-millionaires in Hong Kong, 90,000 more than the previous year. Multi-millionaires are defined as those who have net assets of at least $10 million and liquid assets of $1 million or more. Josephine Lee, Citibank's head of retail banking, told Wendy Wong that COVID may have inflated people's perception of how much they own. Our respondents are asked to estimate their net assets. So it could be affected by the market sentiment. We were doing the survey in the period of March to May, right? So you can see that at that time, many actually uh, governments of different countries imposed measures to help the economy. So this also boosts up the sentiment of our respondents in how they estimate their net assets. What's your expectations on, on the figure uh, next year? Do you expect the number of people with assets over $10 million will continue to rise despite the um, pandemic situation? This is the... like. Uh, 17 years that we have done this survey, and if you look at the past five or past 10 years figure, we can see a steady uh, increasing trend of the multi-millionaire. You also asked your respondents uh, about their views on the property market, and a majority of them think property prices will drop, but some of them think it's a good time to buy. Why? If we look at the 2020 figure versus the 2019 figure, Although we see uh, more respondents thinking that the property price will drop for the next 12 months, actually more respondents, which is like 9% of the respondents in 20 versus 2% of the respondents in 2019, would think that it is a good time to buy because they also want to uh, get into the market with the correction for a, you know, a better price to go into the property market. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has laid out a series of tough measures to stop the spread of the coronavirus in England. Among the new restrictions is a curfew for pubs and restaurants. RTHK's London correspondent Peter Anderson told Anna-Marie Evans the Prime Minister was taking this approach to avoid a complete lockdown. Boris Johnson talked about the world's single biggest crisis in his lifetime. He talked about the UK facing choices, none of which he said would be easy. And he described COVID as the invisible enemy. What he is looking to do is to go for a softer tightening of the restrictions here in the UK to avoid a total lockdown. The context to this is that we already have nearly 14 million people across the UK facing some kind of local restrictions because of hotspots in their area. But what Boris Johnson has announced, as you mentioned, curfews on pubs, bars and restaurants, which will have to close at 10 p.m. UK time. Also, they will be restricted to table service only. But other significant moves, he is now saying that people should work from home wherever possible. And that is very much opposite to what the government was saying just a matter of days and weeks ago, where they were desperate to get people back into workplaces. They are now saying no work from home. Uh, They are saying that there will be uh, fines toughened for people who don't wear masks or who follow the rules. So for the first offence, that will be 200 British pounds, roughly uh, just under 2,000 Hong Kong dollars. There will also 
also be tougher limits on the number of people who are able to attend weddings, and also the government putting a hold on its plans to open up sporting events to crowds. They had hoped to get fans back into stadia very soon. That has been paused. And other measures very much targeted at uh, the hospitality industry. For example, face masks will be compulsory for all bar staff and also for all customers when they are not seated, and as well as for shop workers and waiters. This is a series of tough restrictions, but interestingly, there are already people who are saying this does not go far enough and who would like Boris Johnson to have been much, much tougher. Now, in Scotland, they do have a a further ban, which is that household visits are now banned. Do you think that the England will follow that? Well, interestingly, Scotland uh, introduced that uh, ban on people visiting one another's households. And Northern Ireland, so another one of the four nations of the UK, already has that ban in place, preventing households from mixing indoors. There is a view that more restrictions will be imposed and, for example, that England and Wales will have to follow suit on this and they will have to go for the tougher line. The the, the backdrop to this, Anna-Marie, is that our daily cases are now increasing by around 5,000 a day. That is up by uh, about more than a third in the past week. And the daily deaths are creeping up. We have uh, the latest figures, 37 deaths in the latest 24-hour period. But the government's own medical and scientific advisors have warned that without action the number of new daily cases will go from 5,000 a day potentially to 50,000 a day by mid-October and the number of deaths which is currently under 40 as I said they are saying that by mid-November we could see 200 plus deaths a day here in the UK and for a country that has already almost 42,000 deaths confirmed because of COVID those are figures that worry many many people and that is why why many people, including some of the government's own advisers, are saying that this does not go far enough. We have uh, one of those, Professor John Edmonds, who is uh, an advisor to the government, has said that Boris Johnson's measures are not anywhere near far enough as they have to be. And he says that the, the, uh, the brakes have to be put on very hard to slow the epidemic. And he said that we will see stringent measures later, perhaps, but it could be too late. Now, the problem with Boris Johnson, of course, he had a dad who went off to Greece. He had an advisor who seemed to be able to travel around, even with a COVID case in the car. Um, so um, Boris himself has, has been lenient on, um, you know, people who want to go grouse shooting. They don't seem to have the same sort of uh, social restrictions that everybody else does. So is he actually being taken seriously by the British public? I think he he is still taken seriously and seen as being credible by the majority of people. But what is interesting, recent polls have shown that support for his measures have dropped over recent weeks. And interestingly, support for the opposition Labour Party has climbed during that period. And and a lot of what is being said by Sir Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, seems to be resonating more with the public. And Boris Johnson and his party are losing popularity. But what was interesting, Anna-Marie, within minutes and hours of uh, Boris Johnson making his announcement of these tougher measures, there was a poll of many hundreds of UK people, a snap poll to see whether Boris Johnson had made the right decision. And interestingly, there was a far greater number of people who thought he had been too lenient, too soft in these measures than thought he had been too hard. So there seems to be an appetite among the British public to come down potentially much harder on this pandemic and not to go for the softly, softly approach 
approach, which many people accuse Boris Johnson of taking at this moment, and a critical moment according to many scientists and medical experts. The US government agency NASA has outlined a plan to send astronauts back to the moon for the first time in 50 years and to achieve one giant leap for womankind this time around. The BBC's Stephanie Prentice has more. 50 years ago, we went to the moon. We called it Apollo. What many people don't know is that Apollo had a twin. She was a woman named Artemis. Artemis, the name of the new mission, is set to head to the moon. And the program, named after a Greek goddess, also plans to deliver the first woman to its surface alongside a male astronaut. The ambitious plans are scheduled for 2024 as part of a multi-billion dollar strategy. But while the plans are to retrace American lunar steps, there is much about paving the way for its next big move. To achieve humanity's next giant leap of sending the first human missions to Mars. Charles Bolden is a former astronaut and NASA director and told us about the strategy. During the Obama administration, we targeted Mars as the ultimate destination for humanity, but said we would spend 10 years, the decade of the 20s, in lunar orbit and then eventually down to the surface. So it's, it's critically important for a number of reasons, for what we may find there with ter in terms of water, ice, different minerals and the like. But why would NASA start with another moon landing instead of going straight to Mars, the real target? Trying to make sure that the technologies that we need to push humans on to Mars are pretty well proven. You know, the moon's only two days away, so we can make mistakes, we can have things fail and still get supplies or parts there. When you're on your way to Mars, it's a today, one current technology, it's an eight month journey and there's no supply ship coming. For all who dreamed of pressing beyond. Although this all depends on Congress signing off the $3 billion needed to build a lunar landing vehicle. Those stories were part of the News Wrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Sean Kennedy. The government is conducting a public consultation on the 2020 policy address. Please share your views on different policy areas. We are willing to listen and engage. For details, please visit the website www.policyaddress.gov.hk. Radio 3, live on the web, rthk.org.hk. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. 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 Absolutely. Moments to remember. The time is now. Ray Codero with you. Nostalgia all the way until 1am. Nothing but the best for you.
Richard Kleiderman at the piano, and of course the opening song for nostalgia. Green Sleeves. Now Jim Reeves. I love you because you understand it. Every single thing I try to do. Love you because he loves. 